We were talking about climate and how, for example, up in Boston right now. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is well. Uh, Jay and I were just talking about how today is going to be 75 or 74 up in Massachusetts and how it's November and how that's pretty atypical to the way at least humans have probably uh, engaged with um, weather or climate since, I don't know, a decade. Uh, it's probably 10,000 10, years. I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Really? Like it yeah. hasn't been in the seventies in November for that whole time. I mean, maybe it has been, but not for a consecutive weekend. And basically this whole week has been really quite warm. The last from Wednesday for like Monday, it's going to be really quite warm. I mean, I'm probably going to go on a bike ride, uh, which is shorts and sh uh, t-shirt on in November. And like, normally we're putting on like multiple layers because when you're on the bike, it can get cold quickly. So, um, now you know, how much of this do you think like undeniably humans have a, the massive impact on climate but how much of this is actually normal ice age warm age cycles and like re realignment of the poles like i believe the poles are going to be realigned here soon like so like how much of this is just straight up natural i don't know i mean if you look at the if you look at and once again people we will get into small business saturday and crypto but i do think <laughs> that this is a really important thing to be aware of the climate because i don't think there's anything that's a bigger elephant in the room that's going to actually dictate what Business. governments do in the future what mm -hmm. humans do in the future yeah what technology does in the future a lot of the work that mercy Corps does right now is hyper focused on climate and how it can show up for people so if it is part of a cycle i don't think the speed in which it is happening is part of a normal cycle and that's where you could push back just because even mm -hmm. in my short life of now 35 years, I've seen such drastic change. Uh, mm. And so it just doesn't move that quickly. Evolution yeah. takes a long time. You know, it takes a long time for, for certain creatures to turn out the way they are. <clears throat> and so for me, mm. I think a, a, a large amount of it is, 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 and I don't have a percent, but a large, yeah, a yeah. bigger amount that maybe we're assuming is part of it. Um, sure. But I do think climate is something all businesses all humans all families everyone should start to take into account because as jay and i jay made a great point he's like this idea of saying i'm gonna build a house here and live there for 50 years i don't think that's gone our, that's gone that's right? gone and so especially yeah. with the amount of percent of human beings that live near water and this yeah. makes sense because for hundreds of years there was no airplanes and so where did we live to be able to you know have commerce and engage with other people well it wasn't on the blockchain it wasn't through ach wires it wasn't on the swift program right it was on yeah. the oceans so a lot of human civilization is built around oceans yeah um, and because of that we're all high there's a lot more land that's a lot more susceptible now to um important real estate you could say where humans have kind of amassed that's a lot more susceptible now to the to the changes of climate and the way that the sea level is rising and will continue to rise and i think it's a very interesting thing because when i think about crypto and yeah. i want to transition into that if we can yeah other than bitcoin i really want to know if you if you have a hundred percent where is all of the power being used I'm going to think it's probably 90 to 95% just going into Bitcoin now with Ethereum going to proof of stake. I don't know of any, like no one's starting a project, for example, or 
this is my assumption. My working assumption is that no one's starting a project in 2022. If we just came up with our own cryptocurrency, we wouldn't have it on proof of work strictly just because we would be thinking ahead on the, about the planet, about ESG concerns and, you know, the viability of making something marketable. And I don't think you can do, you can come up with anything right now or forever, a product or a service that tied into it is a heavy energy use. That's just my, that's my fault. Because every single company on the planet is trying to do something to be green. I mean, Shell, all the biggest oil companies have entire wings about how they're trying to be green. I mean, <laughs> Chris Saka, Chris Saka, the major Silicon Valley investor, he, he has now taken a lot of his money out of what we consider traditional tech ventures and only into green. Basically, he's saying green is the future because if you follow Warren Buffett's thing, like buy staples that people need, soon we're going to be asking, where do we get oxygen? Soon we're going to be asking, where do we get um, water? Water, clean thing, water, clean water. So, so Jay, let's pass this to you real quick. To, Jerry makes an interesting statement, which I haven't thought about, but I assume is true. And that is Bitcoin consumes the most amount of energy. Any new project, and I would, I would jump on this, I think a little bit, any new project, most new projects are probably now being built back on Ethereum, if not on their own chain. And we know that how the Ethereum is proof of stake. Do you have any pushback or any input on, I think most of crypto consumption, power consumption is Bitcoin. Is there any other factor we should be thinking about? Or is that probably accurate? That mo most of the power consumption still comes from Bitcoin? Probably, right? I mean, Ethereum would have been the next big producer or con consumer, and, and it's it's flipped the script on that. Um, so yeah, I think Bitcoin is the final outlier. And I, I, I imagine Bitcoin doesn't get changed. I, I just sort of see it staying in, in that position that it's always been. Because you always sort of have to have somebody or some product or some company that maintains the status quo. You're going to have companies like Ethereum that are innovative and, and, and trying to do better, help, help the planet and increase diversity and, and do all the good stuff that we want. And then you're going to have stuff like Bitcoin that's just, you know, like, get it done. Sort of. I'm looking at one chart. I'm looking at one chart. Yeah. Bitcoin produces more, electric, more electrical consumption than Colombia, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Uruguay, Ghana, Costa Rica, Ethiopia, Kenya, El Salvador, Nepal, Senegal, Jamaica, and Haiti. <clears throat> that's one chart I'm looking at right now. That's, that's interesting. And when you think about that, that used to be a real critique against Bitcoin, but, and, and climate is important. Energy consumption is important, but do people care? Like, I do does, a lot of talking about it, no. Talking about it as virtue signaling is different than genuinely caring. Oh, right? I think people genuinely care. Interesting. I think people genuinely care. I think it also depends. Well, humans have this weird thing where, and, Matt Damon has the line in Interstellar, and I try, I think about it often. He's like, humans' empathy only extends to as far as they can see. Yeah. And that's just how it is. It's like, oh, there was a shooting, especially if you're from the United States. There was a shooting in this part of the country. It's like, well, I've never been to that state. I don't know anybody there. And you know what? Their gun laws are so different than ours. So shame on them, you know? Sure. Um, and when there's a natural disaster, um, 
I think I think even with Fort Myers, I think it's really hard for people in Massachusetts to wrap their head around what a hurricane is like, to wrap yes. their head around that type of devastation. Um, so I do think people care. I think it really depends on like, you know, how like the people that care most about climate, I would assume are the people that are going to be most impacted by it. There are, I believe, the people from Vanuatu, which is a Pacific island. They yeah. were on the UN floor years ago saying, yeah. hey, you guys may not care. You being the European Union, um, you know, some 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 of you other more wealthy developed nations and, and urban cities may not care. But like our island, our entire country, our our entire history is numbered. So we really care. And we're asking you to care. Essentially, we're asking you to turn up your karometer, if you will, and, and your jump karometer. in on this battle. <laughs> Because they're like, oh, also the thing is, we are not responsible for the decimation and the destruction and disappearance of our island. It's actually you guys who are spending per capita or wasting per capita more fossil fuels or have a larger carbon footprint. So I do mm. think people care. It's, it's actually very top of mind for me. Uh, it's been top of mind for, I, I say it all the time, but climate and crypto. And before I changed more than blockchain, uh, in why find water into, into more than blockchain, why find water was centered around climate conversations and crypto. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. I, I do think generally people care. And actually the people I think most care are the people that are fighting against it. Uh, the right wing politicians in the United States, they're paying a lot of money to, uh, you know, that are getting paid a lot of money from the gas and oil industry, right? Because they actually care the most about what happens. They just care that it doesn't, you know, that things aren't put into place, that we aren't thinking about this, that there aren't carbon taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, interesting. Um, I, I do think every single company has a, has a position on it, whether it's mm -hmm. pro or against. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, you tell me what you're seeing. I mean, Jay and I, our cities still have about 20 to 30 years maybe, uh, but your entire state is really, uh, it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> It's an interesting case study in how they're going to deal with it because Miami real estate is going up, even though Miami itself is going underwater. And that those two things you would think were illogical. I, I, I can't speak for the state, obviously, but just as a as a casual viewer and ha owning property on the East Coast, um, you you would think, oh my God, there are higher than normal tides. It is affecting property values, but humans be humaning. I have this phrase, I say, people be peopling. Peopling is the verb that we care, don't care as a species. Um, like the net, like the macro of the species cares, we're evolving. We have empathy for people in Pakistan who are significantly affected by flooding, people in Vanuatu. As a species, this is changing. There's Maris Marissi. Um, yeah, it's going to be too hot to oh, live in Florida in 50 years. She's right. This is more, this is more 50 about years. Yeah. You guys, anyone in Boston, it's too hot now, bro. No, no, Boston. If I were to go up to Boston, I'd be, that's like a Florida winter. It, you, you right now. So like, that would be perfect. But, but people be peopling. And that is, is in, in, at the individual level, this is a weird thing about species at the individual level. We are liars. If we say we're not selfish, we might not be self-centered but we're selfish. I believe in Ayn Rand's, by that I mean, even if you are doing something um, for others, something altruistic, altruistic strokes some ego beat in you, some moral trigger in you, and it is a selfish trigger. That doesn't mean we're 
were greedy, but this quote by Matt Damon, you know, that that's a that's a healthy mechanism. I like it's the quote that you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You can save anyone, but you can't save everyone. And it's very and, but we as a species can make an impact. But I don't think we as a species, the impact we will make might be the best impact humanity as a species. And it's going to sound heartless. The best impact we can make as a species is to start dying off. This virus called humans, it has is now infl uh, like inflaming, like inflammation of the body, like it's inflammation of the planet. And and I know that sounds heartless, but that's from a calculating perspective. Now, on the individual level, we're going to do what we need to do to survive. So to answer your question about Florida, we'll find property value where we can get it. So if I can put this house on stilts and give it like a really cool Key Westy vibe, but it's on like 10 foot stilts, who cares? That's fun and kitsch. I'll sell that on Airbnb all day long. And when the tides come in, I'll put a glass view underwater so people can see the stingrays. Like, who cares? And so, like, this idea of individuals, I feel you. It, it does make an impact in all these values. It will affect jobs. <laughs> but humans are, are still going to find a way to get by to make it fun to play with these, these forces. So here's a good example. My, the property we own on the East Coast, this, there's a story in the story behind the story. We own a property in Cocoa Beach. Oh, wow. We don't really. There's a barrier island between the beach and where our property is. And our property sits on a 30-foot berm above the intercoastal waterway. And that 30-foot berm isn't sand. It's coquina rock. It's like a bedrock. It's like a compacted shell and compacted coral that it would take a monsoon to really wash that thing away. So on the beach beach, you do see during monsoon season, even in cocoa, that far north of... Um, Miami, you do see the tides coming in and like homes being underwater and it's, it's devastating. Then a hurricane hits, that's normal that it's devastating. But inland, you don't even see it as a blip except the wind. And so I think Marissa's point is valid. The worst factor for Florida, you'll see the seas rise and it will affect people. But the worst thing will be the heat in, at peak summer in August. It is late in the shade in the middle of the day unbearable. And um, and we see that in Africa already in several areas in Africa, but in India, in Southeast yeah, in Asia, India. you're getting, and even like in Spain in the summer, it'll hit like 115, 120 for a couple mm -hmm. days, not mm -hmm. long. The thing is that the compounding, I always say, yeah. you know, if a farmer in Guatemala loses a day on the front of the harvest and a day on the end of the harvest, doesn't seem drastic. Okay. But when that happens, they're losing a day every year. Yeah. Well, then in 20 years, they basically don't have a harvest because yeah. they're already on the margin. Um, yeah. And I think exactly what Marissa is pointing to, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be an unlivable situation for people not to live there. Correct. That's the thing. And Correct. humans are pretty sensitive to certain things. Once you, That's you know, true. some people don't want to have, you want to have certain amenities. But anyways, this is a good conversation. I know it's Small Business Saturday. You're like, why are these guys talking about climate? Because I do think, as Grace yeah. talking about it, it's going to affect real estate. And right now, real estate yeah. is the biggest, as far as I understand, the biggest portfolio on the planet. Like, there's like $400 trillion or something tied into just real estate or something like that. That's and probably this is, true. I hadn't thought about that, but that's probably true. Yeah, and this true. is because it's tied into everything. Uh, there's $100 trillion of real estate or, or assets, physical assets that are then tied to physical real estate that are tied to the fossil fuel industry. So as these shit tides literally start to shift, mm -hmm. it's going to affect every single walk of life. But this idea of making something 
or a product or a cryptocurrency. Yeah. A token. ESG or climate friendly. Oh, I want to try to sorry. tie that back to the conversation we were having actually before we went live, because I think it's a really good one to have where we were talking about a project, the relationship between a cryptocurrency project or, or if, if a product needs to have its own token, if a yeah. service needs to have its own token and Jay kind of had a mic drop moment. So Grant, can we, or Jay, yeah. can we, can you guys help me turn I'll the ship back into that conversation? Quick. I'll recreate this real quick, if I may. We, we, we pulled up CoinMarketCap, as we are wont to do before we come on the show, and we just catch up, as we all do every day. And I pop quizzed Jarrett, and I said, you know, has anyone, do you think people actually look at the top 50 cryptos? And Jarrett was like, of course I do daily. And me and Jay were like, okay. So I pop quizzed him on the Chillis token, and Jarrett knew exactly what it was. And we were joking about this a little bit, and then we asked ourselves, Oh, I perused more and realized how many of these are just wallets. And then it dawned on me, why does a wallet need a token? Why isn't it just a wallet? And, uh, and then I even took it further and challenged, it is rare aside from a currency that a project needs a token. It's actually friction, as Jarrett pointed out. There's a lot of friction with that. And then Jay had a comment. And Jay, can you pick it up from there uh, of your, your take on it being a good business practice? Yeah, so the, the idea behind it is like, if you can get your customers to pay in advance for a service that they may never use, then you actually end up benefiting as a company because you get all of this money up front, but you never actually have to fulfill the service. And what's, I think like an example of that is, um, like gift cards, you know, like at, at Christmas time, your your aunt or your uncle is gonna give you that gift card to wherever I don't know, um, yeah, the Gap or something. And but the card expires. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the the card expires in like six months or twelve months. Yeah, and a lot of times, you, you know, you just forget to use it, and so Buffalo Wild Wings gets fifty dollars out of you, and they never have to give you anything. It's it's the same thing as a token, right? You buy the tokens when the game is hot. You're thinking, man, I'm gonna gonna need all of these 100 tokens. But yeah. two weeks later, another game comes out. You're not spending any time with that first game anymore. But you can't yeah. get your money back for the tokens. It's already sunk. Yeah, and so I, that's known as breakage. Um, and this idea of gyms is the most obvious one that I think everyone relates to. And it, it still is the same thing as the gift cards that you're saying, where uh, gyms oversell. Like if everyone with a gym membership in a gym actually showed up the same day, it would be wall to wall, uh, sweaty people, but not sweaty because it'd be shoulder to shoulder, not enough treadmills, not enough benches, not enough square footage for everyone in the building because it's nearly a guarantee that less than 10% of the members even use the facilities. So they still less get Less than that. 10%? Is, yeah. is, it, is that the actual like figure? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great business model. Because you're banking on people not showing up. Talk to me about the ethics. Is this ethical? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm, I, I, Jay, I mean, I, are there any ethic <laughs> issues? Jay, <laughs> Jay has a smile, a devious I, smile. <laughs> I, I have this one because I was yesterday, like just yesterday, I saw. Just yesterday, I opened a gym and I hope <laughs> no one comes. <laughs> Jay's, Jay's fitness world. <laughs> 
I was watching this like um, National Geographic documentary and they were doing this thing about scams, like those telephone scams or email scams, lottery scams where you get a, somebody calls you and say, hey, you just won $100,000, but to get it, you got to send us $1,000. And the, the whole thing was about that, you know, those scams are pro proliferating more and more and more and more people are buying into them. Okay. And uh, the idea is, oh, the, the, they, they, they were talking to a few of the scammers and the scammers were basically saying there's nothing morally wrong with what they do because the people, the, because they're not just like randomly putting stuff out, trying to figure out, you know, who's going to bite. They already have like a call list of like the most, the people who are most likely to buy into this stuff. Um, and however they get the list, they get the list. But the idea is that they're, they're calling people who are more likely to want to believe in something like that. Like somebody would get the call about winning the lottery. You got to pay a thousand dollars. They pay the thousand dollars. They don't get the money. They pay another thousand dollars. They still don't get the money. They pay a third thousand dollars. They still don't pay the money, but they just, they stay in the lupins because people want that to happen to them and um and so they it's like they, it's like kink culture like is wait, it is yeah, it, is hold it, on, is hold it ethical on. to slap this dude around he did if he, wants me. It, he did he did slide into my dms he <laughs> clearly <laughs> wants it like you know like what do you that definitely sounds Jay. like a scammer's rationale so Jay, i think jay's a scammer you know, Jay, we don't but see Jay throughout the week. It's a good week. business model. I mean, I, I gotta say, if, if I had like a list of like, you know, people's names and numbers, because they, they, what they're saying, like they get all of those names and numbers from like calls and like overseas call centers, Yeah, you know, like the customer service for, you know, whatever SaaS company you, you bought into, they've got your name and number and, and that's in some random place in India, Jamaica, Israel or something. And they just steal the numbers and then use it privately. Interesting. So, so that, that, that does raise a good question. Well, like, so <laughs> there was a business I was involved in. I was at, I, I managed a telemarketing floor for a while. I don't know if you guys knew that. And the business, what, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I managed about 40 people and we ran the night shift and uh, it was sketches all get out. It was boiler room. The, the closers would would take home 50,000 in cash and then disappear to Costa Rica for their private mountain for like weeks. And then they have to get their fix. So they'd show back up and start closing. It was nuts. I had one guy, quick story, I had one guy that disappeared for his lunch break at 9 p.m., showed up late. I was going to fire him. He showed up at 10, 15. His shirt was a little torn. And then I noticed there was like blood on his shirt. And I was like, John, what is going on? You know, you can't be late. And he said, please don't fire me. I said, why not? He said, I got to pay for my bail. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm going to be honest with you. I went for a drug deal. It went bad. The guy pulled a gun on me, shot me. I went to the hospital, got arrested. I made bail and I'm here to close tonight. <laughs> I got to make bail. And I'm like, shit, John. All right. Like, I mean, like legit bullet wound the whole, I mean, like it was that sort of world. And the product was this. People owe tons of back taxes. Tons. I thought you were going to say the product is Bitcoin. You guys are selling no. Bitcoin for the phone. <laughs> the, the product is a thing called proof of work. Um, the, 
it was back taxes. People can owe hundreds of thousands, if not millions of back taxes and be an average person like us. Oh, uh, I, I know somebody who, who worked, who did the same thing. Yeah. And, and here's the deal. It's actually super, you might owe $1.5 million to the IRS. And if you just call them and talk to them, you can negotiate that down in half easily. Then get on a payment plan for the next 30 years. Like it's, it's not a problem. Or you could just show your paperwork and make the, make the tax return right. And then they'll get rid of like 90% of the costs. Like there's a mechanism. It's a very intimidating, but you can do it. But we would call them and they're, do they're like dodging the phone. So we would hire private investigators to find these people. You'd call them and you'd have to get them and keep them on the phone. And they're, uh, they're avoiding everything because they owe all this money. Then you negotiate them and say, listen, for $1,200, I can take care of this. They'd say yes. They'd send you a check overnight in the mail. You got 1200 bucks. 90% of that was commission. You don't even need it. Because you call the IRS, you submit the paperwork on their behalf. The IRS has already said, no problem. This person goes from owning a mil owing a million to owing 20 or 30,000 that they get on a payment plan for the next 30 years. No problem. No problem. We call them back and we call them back and be like, listen, this thing's hung up. It's going to take us another two grand and you pull the well, check now we know where where like the people in jamaica get the scam idea from like all right cool that's exactly <laughs> where it is and they will write the check and say i've got it the the person's willing to work with me but it's going to take some more labor to get this thing pushed through and they pull a second check on the back room and so like we so when you look at that you are providing a service you definitely knock this person's debt from this to this and you made money for arbitrage so, yes. but here's my question. I had a horrible ethical issue with this, obviously. Where's Why? the line drawn? You provided value. The it, commission was nuts. Where's the line drawn? But the, the value is obviously there. Like, it's like, like, okay, so let's say it happened three times. Like, you, you call them the first time, you got a thousand. You call them the second time, you got a 1500. You call them the third time, you got that 2, was the game. That was the game. Right. So, you, you've got what, uh, 4,500 in all now? Like it's worth forty five hundred to them. Maybe it was worth forty five thousand to them. Like as long right, as if you're gonna save value. them five hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as so, they I get mean, the value for it, like. But should but here's the question: When it comes to sales and small business, should I have just simply said, "Listen, it'll cost you forty five hundred dollars, and I won't come to you again"? No, because like even in real estate, that doesn't work, right? Like you can't you 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 you, you sort of gotta like get people into it like if i'm selling you the home uh, man i, I feel icky i don't yeah, know you know like like first i take you to the, the the house that you can't afford you know i like make you feel like oh man this is great this is what i really want and then i take you to the little crappy one that you definitely don't want and then i give you the one in the middle like at like um the what goldilocks and the three bears type yeah thing. i was gonna say Jay, you know Jay's like it's all like psychology company. right like i'm just Jay and the three you, little bears real me. estate <laughs> So Marissa actually sent me an update here on gym memberships. Marissa says, I can't believe this conversation. I know. I, love it. I know. It's gone from Marissa, climate to scams really quick. <laughs> and this is not, not scam show. This is the not crypto bros. We'll get back to crypto in just a quick second. Marissa sent me an update. The statistics show that 82% of gym memberships go to the gym less than one time per year, 82%. So I was wrong. It's not less than 10%. It's less than 18%. 22% completely stopped going after six months. 
31% say they never would have paid had they known how little they use it. Um, and so that goes back to, even though the number's not as small as I thought, Jared, it is still extremely small. She just did the homework there. But so Jay's position is, is if you're providing value, mm -hmm. my ethical thing is, is, is not on how much it costs, but on expectation setting and the manipulation of someone's paradigm. That's my beef. What if they and never know about it? What do you mean? If a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it fall. To see Meaning it if fall. you succeed at scamming them, is it ethical? But if you get caught, is it not ethical? Like, yeah, like if, if they never know that there was something else happening in the background and they didn't have to spend $4,500, like. It's not that. So that, that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about the difference. Because I am down with arbitrage. All money is made on arbitrage. All money. I know that I know some inside idea or inside secret. Um, hey, Diggs, what's, what's up? Um, on Twitch? We finally got a Twitch response. Oh, what up, Diggs? There you go. There you go. So, so I'm down with making money on arbitrage, hands down. And if someone owes a million dollars to the IRS or if someone has a gym membership, but what I what where is the ethical line on? Listen, I can say to you this, but the manipulation of 1,200, 1,200, 1,200, now you're in it for 4,500, and I'm just stringing them along. And, and at what point does, I've already got the thing solved. I'm now literally making up money. As opposed to why not just price it and go, well, this only took me about three hours worth of work. Why don't I leverage it and just charge 10K or charge a percentage of what I save them? Why, like, to me, there's an ethical thing on setting the expectation of what they should I'm basically leveraging their unknown fear to milk them as long as possible. To why, why isn't that fine? Like, I mean, we, we, we've spoken before about value-based pricing. Like you, you pay what- But this isn't, that's not what this is. Value-based, no, 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 no. Value-based pricing, is the, what I consider an ethical approach to value-based pricing is this. If I can save someone a million dollars on their back taxes, it's ethical for me to even charge up to 80%. They probably wouldn't do that psychologically, so I'd have to experiment with it. And let's say I charge them 50%. But to tell them I could do it for a rate, and technically I have done that. But then to say, oh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I'm going to need more money. Now I think I've crossed the line. Even though, just, even though it's already happened. Is what even though it's already, because it's already happened and because I told them it was going to take X, but because of their fear, I'm now going beyond what I told them it would take. This is like a mechanic who's like, oh shit, I already fixed, I already fixed the engine, but they don't know shit about it. And even though I quoted them X, I'm now quoting them X times two or X plus one. So to so, me, it's the string along. If I just told them the whole nut, I would feel that that's ethically sound. But for me, it's the string along that bothers me, not the price. What, what was that, Jared? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you, if you tell someone that you're going to have services rendered for $10,000 and then you won't bother them again, they're already assuming you're not going to bother them again. I think once like there's a relationship of service, yeah. as opposed to saying, yeah, I'll do it. And then you do it for $2,000 and you go back and you hit them up four more times after that for $2,000. You're still getting to $10,000. They're probably still feeling like they won. And on some sense, maybe they feel like, wow, this guy's gone to bat for me five, four more times than he said he would, which is insane. 
I should feel like great. And I've cut my debt down by $200,000. I just think it comes down to do all parties feel like they won. The government feels like they won because they got this guy in a payment plan, even for an amount. This guy feels like he won because he sold them. And the person who got the services, you know, provided to them also feels like they won. And maybe they feel like they got like more of a white glove service because this person was on the phone with them for five nights a week for two months. So I think it's the perception of value really at the end of the day. And then it's also like if there's no harm, no foul, because if it's the same amount of money, yeah, it may not be the best. And I think maybe this is you with your Sparks hat on. You just want to help people out and do it right the first time and get the money in from a service provider and not waste your time. Because for you as a service provider, if you're paying someone on your Spark site team to go do that 2000, 2000, 2000, 2000, 2000, it may look like they were unprepared or didn't think it through. So I, I, I don't know. It kind of goes back and forth. And I you know also what? think. Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, go, 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 go. I was going to say, you make a valid point of this. I have now actually built my business not only on arbitrage, but I have grown my business expanding their fear of the unknown. And that to me is yeah. the unethical part. So if, if I came in and I set an expectation of on the low end, like if I, like to me, it's expectation setting. Listen, on the low end, it's going to cost me 1200 bucks. On the high end, it's going to cost me 8K because I'll have to go back to them several times if something's not right. I guess it's not ethical from a holistic, global, universal, ethical sense, but from my own personal sense of values, I know it's solved. And the thing that I am tipped with Spark, the thing I'm in the business of is of putting people's fears at ease. Yet, I could have done that day one, but because I know I could milk money out of them, I left, I left them in limbo. And what's worse, I even made them think it might not happen. Oh man, it might not happen. Dude, fuck me. I know it could happen. Now I'm lying. And so, so as opposed to me going, as opposed to me going, listen, what's this worth to you? Here's 20K. It will cost you 20K and I'll try to get it done in the first week. And then to alleviate their fears as soon as I, as a human, have created a situation that their fears could be relieved and then deliver on that, that is easily worth a lot of money. It's not worth me dragging out and exacerbating. What, their fears. But what if they, what if they are more likely to not do it, to not buy in and get their taxes taken care of if the price was at the $4,500 level? Like, if the way to get them to fix their taxes, the best way to do it is to string them out and say, hey, first it's 1,000, mm -hmm. then it's 2,000, then it's 3,000, then it's four. And that gives you an 85% win rate every time because 85% of the people you talk to get their taxes fixed Damn. as opposed to doing it the other way. You know, like if you're going on a trip. Like we know really this from hard, coaching, yeah. Yeah, if you're going on a really hard hike, and the person who's in charge is telling you, like, don't worry, we're going to get there in an hour. But like six hours later, you're still hiking. It's because they told you that it was easy. Oh, you no. Know, you got you got to the, the, the end. This could just be me, but fuck that person. <laughs> I would fucking sue. And, and uh, like, you tell me the worst. Tell me the worst. <laughs> no, I'm with you. And Marissa's probably over there in the other room laughing because. Because she, she as, a, as a hiking manager, Marissa, Marissa deals. I just can't believe you, Grant. I can't believe you. Someone's like, we're going to go. No, because here's the thing. Here's they're the thing. lying. Yeah, but Grant, Grant, Grant. I, I just think this is like a, okay. This is so funny. 
Jay, now that we know whenever we hang out with Grant and IRL, we are going to have to tell him yes. everything up front. That's right. All the expectation. Grant, we're going to go right. eat lunch. You're not going to like it. Do you still? Uh, or, absolutely. Not it's called an accusation no, audit. The FBI right. uses it. Yeah. Accusation audits. Go ahead. Oh, my God. But OK, I think a couple of things. I love what Jay's saying, because sometimes you have to move people along. Like if I say to you, you know, you have to exactly like to cut down your debt, it's going to be two thousand dollars. And then I don't tell you I'm going to actually need eight thousand. I'll probably get it from you because that's what stats show. I can come back up to the ten thousand because if I just come up with the ten thousand, all of a sudden that five figure sticker shock may push you back from making a decision. And the other thing is, I think you're thinking about this maybe too much from a service provider where you're thinking about efficiency and you're like, I don't want my team members spending that much time if they can just get to the $10,000 nut quicker. Like if I can just get my one team member to get that done in an hour, why would I want that team member to maybe do it five nights and take two hours each? Because now that's 10 times as much to get the same amount of full actual revenue out of the situation. I don't think so. That's not what okay. I'm thinking. I'm okay, thinking good. about efficiency. I, I am, my, my biggest concern is, is my team actually consciously lying? Mm -hmm. Lying is an ethical barrier for me that is, is unacceptable. And then the other is, I, I do, uh, he hates being Marissa. He yeah, hates being blindsided. He even hates the movie, The Blind Side, Marissa. Yeah, I won't even tolerate it. it. Okay. But, but to me, the idea is this, tell people the worst. Tell people, because I've been a vision caster. It's going to be sunshine, rainbows. We're going to get this going. But there is no one who will never, there is no pain and no trauma in coaching. As a coach, I've been coaching for years. There is, there is. Victor, you, what's up? I just gotta, up, sorry, I got to, sorry, I got to shut up, Victor. GM, Victor. Yeah, so, there's our guy, you? man. I have, you will see someone shut down to personal development so fast. If you promise they'll get an outcome, you know it won't happen, and then you try to charge them more, they will shut down to personal development for life. This is, this, is, this is the other point I had. I thought maybe you were thinking about it too much like how you would do it from an efficiency standpoint. Then the other thing I was thinking about is that scams, even this scam, is still an ephemeral relationship you're going to create. You're maybe going to have this person sweating for a week to a month, not as opposed to you want to build a career coaching or you want to build a website thing where you actually need to build that compounding trust relationship, which is something where I then think coming up front and saying, hey, the hike's going to suck. Do you want to do it or not? As opposed yeah. to it's kind of easy. Oh, you know what? Another five minutes. Oh, another five minutes when you're just trying to like get, you know, like I was over at my buddy's house last night and it's bedtime. So we went through the five more minutes about three times. Right. But that's what we needed to really not ensure that there wasn't going to be like a freak out, right? But if you're trying to build a very long-term relationship with someone, I totally think you have to have honesty and really well-defined expectations. And it's what Brene, Brene Brown says. She says, clarity cares, not yeah. clarity doesn't care. So I totally align with, align with that. But I think if you think of it that way, this is a scam for a one week to a month thing where the, the, the lying, yes, it is lying, but it feels like a white lie. If you're going to actually allow that person to, you're still going to like, if you're, if your end goal is $10,000 and it takes five, $2,000 times, then maybe it actually speaks to your, like you're saying, honestly, maybe they're just not a great salesperson. Cause maybe if they were really good and they could talk someone through it and say, Hey, yeah. you know what? This is how this game is going to go. That's what I'm I mean. going to go to them five different times with $2,000 and take up more of your time. Or I can go to them with $10,000, which is the actual price we've already agreed on that I can get you to. Which one's better for you? 
do you want to be on the phone Wednesday, Thursday night? Do you have plans? Oh, I do have plans. Okay. Well, then why don't we just knock this out of the park right now? Why don't we come together and realize that the best thing to do, you know, that's a different conversation. So, but I think when you're not trying to build a long-term relationship, that's where, and this is where scams in general, you really have to ratchet it up when you think about like a rug pull. You have to ratchet it up. You have to be buying back your own NFT using different wallets. You have to be having a, a pool, like a, an arsenal on the side to keep the thing running. We're seeing that right now with gobblers. Um, because yeah. it looks yeah. like it could fall off a cliff. You have like, it's at seven, then the next one's five, then the next one's two. Yes. So yes. the second that seven and five don't hit, all of a sudden it's going down to two as best offers. So it's like, yeah, scams don't last a long time, right? Anyone who's a scammer is known and you don't want to build a relationship with them. So mm-hmm. I think that's, the change well, of times is, is that true though? Yes. Like, uh, well, let, 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 let me shout out Brian. But is it really true that if you know you're being scammed or you know the person's a scammer that you don't want to have anything to do with them? Because yes. I feel like that goes against like everything that I know about like catfishing. You know, because th- there's this Jay, thing. How that, much do you know about catfishing? Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, like, cat catfishing just for the <laughs> audience is like. You know, when you meet someone online and they say they're one person, but they turn out they're really somebody else. It's like, yeah, I'm a beautiful model from, uh, you know, from Florida, but it's uh, like some fat old guy from from Serbia or something like that. Oh, uh, but the the yeah, idea you is them, sound, right? you sound really experienced. Like you've thought about that profile before. But, but, no. You sound like you're a hot model from Florida, but you're actually like a guy. Yeah, Jay's in Toronto. Toronto. He's really like <laughs> Igor from uh, Belarus, Russia, with like a six pack. <laughs> Okay, but, but, but the, yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. behind it is like every person who's being catfished knows that they're being catfished. No, there's no reason why yeah. this this hot model is interested in you. Otherwise, and, and yeah, if I see someone hit my DMs, like, no way, a thousand Jay. miles away, is she needs the hot person no way. in your vicinity who's interested in you. You feel like if every someone started my DMs, I'd be like, it's about the time they recognize. Jay. Jay, I, I, I actually worry about Jay's ethical compass after this conversation because I worry that he's scamming oh, no. people. He's like, well, they like it. So I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin billionaire now. I, they I, must I, love I, it. Like in, in your heart, maybe not every person, but I think the majority of people like in, in their hearts, they understand that, you know, it's highly unlikely that whatever is happening is true, but I'm going to continue with it anyway, just in chance that like the 1% have, you know, the 1% chance that it actually happens to be true. But that, but you're pointing at the fact that they don't know they're being catfished. They're, or, they're living... or scammed. Like they, they, they know there's no Nigerian prince on the other end of that email. They oh, still that, send the money I mean, anyway. Yeah, but catfishing and Nigerian they prince are two very no different Nigerian extremes. Jay's firing this morning, dude. No, man. I I literally think that when someone gets fooled by a catfish date, for example, they are hoping for the 1%, which means their probabilities that I'm being catfished are high, but they don't do it because they know they're being catfished. They're doing it because they're hoping they're not, meaning the default compass for most people is trust. And, and when you violate that trust, and this is the thing about scams, scams are insidious, and, and it's why I'm so harsh on this. Because scams have such a gray zone that could be rationalized. And so you're, you're actually manipulating what is best about the human species. You're not treating it as sacred. 
What's best about the human species is we're naively, I believe, in spite of all the negativism out there, we are naively optimistic. We are still, we are actually good in our heart. And we want, even though we know it's not probable, we still hope that that one hottie actually DM'd me. And, and that's, it's not likely, but I'm not engaging with it because it's not likely. I'm engaging with it on the hope. And that is why people, that is why I think it worse than someone, I would rather someone walk up and punch me in the face as a crime than someone lie to me and take money out of my wallet because I want, I ultimately secretly wanted to be robbed from. What? Fuck that. I would literally rather, and I've said this because I've been robbed. I've been jumped. I would rather be jumped any day of the week than someone manipulate and scam me any day. Because to me, it's violating the most sacred aspect of our species. This is why rug pulls are so prolific. Not because people know they're being scammed, but they hope they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Victor. <laughs> it, it Thanks, sense, Victor. Too, but be careful what you wish for. You may be walking down the street today and someone's going to jack you in the face and be like, well, at least I didn't scam you. <laughs> or my DMs are suddenly going to get filled with Nigerian princesses. And I'll be like, see, see, actually. Hey, Marissa, look at this. 50K if I send him a Bitcoin. What do you think? <laughs> legit? Is this legit? No, but you hope it is. Yes, I do. Yes. I actually think that's a really good thing. Whenever you're investing in something and you feel like, and you have that, like, that sixth sense instinct that, you know what? I deserve this and I'm the exception, not the rule. Buddy, you're about to get scammed. Whatever that I is. I agree. I do agree with that. I think you should do what Jay's doing, what Jay's saying. I think people should be what Jay's saying. I think people should look and say, probabilistically, I am being scammed. Therefore, I shouldn't do it. And if someone does have that thought and says, I'm probably being scammed, therefore I should do it, and they're masochistic, they don't believe they're worth success, and they're walking through knowing they're going to get catfished, there is that factor in the human species, but I don't think that's most people. I think people switch a switch and then suddenly become selectively naive. But not me. Yes, it's probable, but not me. I think that's what most people are doing. I think the most valid point, though, that you made that does resonate with me about this is when it comes to exactly coaching or personal development or what's good for people, it's paternalistic. Like the example you even gave, the example you even gave, Jared, was of your niece or nephew, <clears throat> is that five more minutes, it's a white lie, five more minutes. Taking someone from $1,200 to 8K is not a white lie. It's a fucking outright lie. And it, and it is fraud. If you look at, if it's fraud, technically and legally, if you say, I can provide services for X, and if and this is actually this actually happened in the company I work for, and they they settled multiple times. I promised twelve hundred. In the back room, I could show the communication from the IRS said this is taken care of at twelve hundred dollars, and then I have records of calling the person again. And pulling another twelve hundred, and the IRS, the FBI goes, why did you ask for the other twelve? You told them 12, why did you ask for more 12? It was done. We see the paperwork. That is a legal contract. And, and, and you didn't live up to that. You asked them for more money. Well, we still need to do some labor. What was that labor, if you don't mind? The IRS said this was done. And so when you look at the actual, le why is that a legal structure? Because I made, and in Florida anyway, I made a verbal agreement for X. And all I'm saying is, is wait, 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 hold what? on. 
I understand. I just want to cut you off. I have to ask this question. In Florida, a verbal agree- agreement is binding? Yes. Yo, yes. You live in the wild, wild west, my G. You live in the wild, wild west. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. I'm Welcome telling you. Welcome to Florida, baby. And, 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 but, but also, you can back it up with correspondence. It's, it's legally binding. And so for me, I would rather, you're right about the relationship and the coaching. So in terms of coaching, people don't do what's good for them. And I think that's what you're getting at, Jay. People don't do what's good for them. And so yeah. what, what, what can we do? Not to string them along, but to feed them nuggies so that they progress. I do agree with that. I just think we have to be very careful with how we do it. I'll do this and I'll hand off the mic. Victor says, or after working with you a few weeks and you trusted them, they just leave you. And next, you know, and sharing your ideas, NDA worry, important. Worrying about NDA is important. Web three is no different. Scams is web two. Jay, what were you going to say? Yeah, I like how Victor is bringing it back to entrepreneurship. I've known a few people who've gotten into business relationships and, and, you know, like had their partner, Steve, run off with the funds or take the idea, sell it to somebody else, start their own company. Do, do all sorts of stuff like that. And, and I, I, you're right, Grant, like people like in that situation, I, I think they, they definitely don't walk in thinking like, oh, my business partner who I'm putting up 50% of the money with is going to end up robbing me in the end. You're right. But then it happens so often. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. does it, why does it keep happening? Like yeah. at, at some point you got to imagine that you hear about the scam before it actually happens to you, but then it still happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, it, but here's what I think. I and your logic about the collection agency, your your previous logic was basically saying, yeah. So if it happens to you, you deserve it. Yeah, that's how we started this. Oh, conversation. Not that you deserve it, but that you wanted it. Like you were aware that something fishy was up. You Jay, should. have you been catfished? Not that I know of. I hope not. <laughs> Jay's talking to Veronica right now, and Veronica yeah. sends pictures of her own. Oh, things are so rough in Russia. I would love to be with an ebony man like you in Canada. <laughs> Marissa says, Marissa just did research. A quick answer in the state of Florida is a verbal contract legally binding, and yes, it is. It does require certain proofs, but a legal uh, verbal contract is considered legally binding. So, so Jared, this seems like a foreign concept to you. In Massachusetts, a verbal contract is not legally binding? I don't think so. I have to look that up, but I have a hard time being like, yeah, he said this. Even if I had it recorded, I, I mean, maybe if I had, I get, okay, here's the thing. I guess if you have it recorded, it's different. Yeah. Then you actually have proof that it was said. But the way you sound, it was like, yeah, we just locked down a deal for $3,000. The guy didn't pay me, so I sued him. And now we're in small claims court and it's my word versus his. And I'm like doing a freestyle to prove my point. Like that just sounds like, where are we? But no, no, so if you, yeah, you recorded, that's different because you can use for, um, if you're going to work with somebody, for example, you're going to have the, you're going to do an interview and instead of having them sign a, a press release or like I can use my identity or whatever, you can just say, Hey, before we go, can you please say your name and that you're okay with us? You know, that's, so, that's, that's, that's what it's getting at. Like, I can't okay. just walk, I could just walk into court and make a claim and say, Hey, we were talking over nachos and this motherfucker said he was going to do X and he never did. Well, do you have a contract? Well, no. Okay. Do you have a recording of the conversation? Do you have a napkin agreement? So a verbal contract, I think is meant, uh, it's a poor use of words. It, gotcha. The contrast is I don't have a notarized 
contract that was filed in court that says that we had an agreement, but this, this series of emails counts as a verbal contract. This series of emails that, and you can say by intent that this, this, this correspondence we had, or this text chain that we had, or this audio recording, like you're saying, I was at lunch and mm -hmm. there's a bit, the, the camera actually records us making this agreement. Okay, there's gotta be some validity, some validation of what happened or a witness. I was standing next to them taking their order and I heard the guy say, I'll give you half a million dollars for X. Mm -hmm. And so like, there has to, like, I can't just go really nilly like, Billy told me I could have his firstborn. And they're like, oh shit, okay. Because <laughs> yeah, that's what you made it sound like. You made it sound like when you have your house on 30 foot stilts and you have people with alligators underneath, some dude's gonna walk and be like, I really like this casita. And you're like, how much? And he's like, two million. And you're like, sold. And Marissa's in the corner, apparently filming this with her iPhone. And now you guys got him on the hook for two million. Anyway, the whole thing just sounds very well, Florida. It, you know, it, very. It, it, it it would work like if if the guy actually gave him two million because like yeah to, if the guy had a briefcase a, that was chained to his arm right like, yes to to be a legally binding contract you need an offer you need acceptance and then you need consideration which is the actual value that's being exchanged yes. so if, if one if person A can prove that they've already given the consideration to person B yes yeah. it's likely that the contract is exists. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Jay's a Nigerian prince for like people in Sweden. Gray area. No, they had it coming. I have a I have a phone list I bought from my Indian friends that shows the probability that they want to be scammed. And I mean, it's just marketing, right? Like you, you gotta get a choose your your audience. Let me tell you something. The best business I could get into is Christianity. I could sell prayer cloths. Yeah. All day long, blessed prayer cloths, man. If you watch some of these guys, it's nuts out. We never talked about these tokens, which I do want to touch on a little bit, um, at least in, to uh, in token. Um, uh, the question I wanted to raise just to totally pivot on this is how often are tokens actually necessary? And all of this conversation was actually to Jay's very business savvy point of, it makes sense to get paid up front to let people use your token. Maybe you give them a discount on transactions if you have a DEX or something like this. But aside from that being like practical, like the average wallet, does the average wallet need a token? You know, like why do we need like chillas even? Why, why do we need a token for chillas? You interviewed so the guy, right? Yeah, no, so yeah, we were talking, he doesn't work for Chillis. It's just so Chillis is like the, uh, it's Socios, Socios.com, which if you watch soccer around the world, they have MLS contracts, they have La Liga contracts, I believe. I think they have Bundesliga contracts. Anyway, they're, they're all over. And Chillis is the token that Socios is basically run on. Um, Socios built their product around the Chillis token. So the Chillis token can be used um, to facilitate the buying and selling, essentially, of soccer player NFTs. Imagine just digital soccer cards. That's really kind yeah. of all it is. Um, but, you know, like I said, so, so, so that's where Associates is going to build on top of Chillis. I don't think Chillis has its own. They built their chain so other people can use it to build NFT projects, if that makes sense. Chillis they have a token. Its... What's the use of the token on that chain? No, so chill, 
Chilla's is just a chain. Chilla's is the chain. It's the base chain. But it's a token. It's a layer one. We understand the difference between a blockchain and a token, right? Yeah. Okay. So it, it's on, it's on CoinMarketCap mm -hmm. as a token. So why does, do we know any use case of why there's a token associated with the blockchain called Chilla's? Sorry, tell me the difference between a blockchain and a token. Yeah, I think we're conflating things right now. A blockchain is simply a protocol by which we have a ledger that moves forward. Sure. You don't need a token for it. It's you just don't. a blockchain. Right. It just exists. This is this is a good question. I need to think I need to think about who what the actual like why Chillas is a token then is what you're asking, right? Why Chillas has a token. It's not Chillas isn't a token. Chillas well, the, the, it's it's unfortunate that it's named the same, right? Like exactly. fortunately, fortunately with Polygon, right? There's Polygon and then there's Matic, right? And so like yeah. we have good distinguishing of, of terminologies. Cardano has ADA and it's a Cardano blockchain. Like fortunately, those are separate. Um, same as coin is different than token. Same as coin is different than token. Could you yeah, say the I, same I thing? Yeah, I have to think about what the Chillis token is called then. Is well, it's, I mean, on coin market cap, it's actually listed as Chillis. But this, this is the confusion I'm having of if something, you mentioned, Jay mentioned a very valid thing. If something is a DEX, it makes a good fiscal sense for them to also release a token because they get that cash liquidity. You use the token and maybe the token might be used for staking. They gave you the token. It's kind of like fiat. They gave you the token. You give them back the token, it stakes, and then they get dripped. So basically you give them 10K, that you, then you get 10K worth of token, you put the token back in their system, and maybe you get a drip or farming or something like that. That, that exchange kind of makes sense um, as it comes to like a DEX, but like something like, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, yeah, so it's it's just that it has the same name, Cardano Cardano to ADA. This is just chills to CHZ. CHZ is it, you know? Um, it's a sports fan engagement platform built on the Chili's blockchain infrastructure and uses CHZ as its exclusive on-platform currency. Well, so. Cardano has a use for the ADA token. The ADA mm -hmm. token is reward in some cases for stakers, right. for validator pools and all sorts of things. Uh, and then Brian here goes Brian. The, Brian just put the same thing up. I mean, I think it's just the name. I think it's the name that's confusing us. As is exclusive. Okay, so... So Brian, Brian answers this specifically though, and this is to I think Jared or Jay's point earlier. The CHZ is ex is it's exclusive. You can't use Chillis without the token. So basically, yeah. this is a friction point in order to benefit. So this is what Jay's saying. It can benefit me financially if they're just operating with my token and drive token value because there's so much good backroom accounting that makes our our books look really good. But it's a, also a point of friction to require only their own token. So it's not necessary, but it's useful to the chain. Yeah. Would we see more adoption if this practice was eliminated? I think we might, because I think when you have to have like a certain wallet to hold a certain token, or, you know, when you have to have the wallet kind of like asset alignment, I think it gets really messy. I mean, right now, let me just look at my phone and I'll see I have 
MetaMask wallet, Lobster wallet, Engine wallet. Jesus. Coinbase wallet. I need to download yeah. another wallet so I can do some stellar stuff. Like when you have to have all these wallets as opposed to just having one wallet because it's all on basically Ethereum. I, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's difficult. I think it doesn't help adoption. And this is why I think interoperability is the word of the day. Polygon, we need man. something that can kind of like figure it out. And that's why Polygon is crushing it. So, 28%. Polygon is up 28% this week. FYI. Oh, it's killing it. It's killing it. How, how does this compare with... Hey, here's Allison. Uh, how does this compare with, you know, like how you can get those membership cards? Like if you go to like um, Abercrombie and Fitch, you sign okay. up with a little membership discount card. And then you go to Bed Bath and Beyond and you get another one and you go to, I don't know, Best Buy and get another one. You got like a dozen of them in, in your physical wallet and you, you're going to need each one to get the right discount. Isn't this like the same thing? It's just a digital version of that physical thing that, I don't know, like every 13 to 18 year old young woman participates in. Everybody Except you can pay in fees. Right? You're not required to use the Abercrombie card in that example. Right, but You're you not... need the card to get the discount. Yeah, so so to to compare, I, I'm an REI member, and I have the REI membership. Yeah, but like, like MEC or pa Patagonia, any, any one of those. Uh, but I'm not in those scenarios. Maybe... Like you Maybe can't there's a bit take of... your REI card and take it to Patagonia. You gotta no, but REI I can do business and... at REI without my REI card. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. but you don't get the benefits that you would get similarly with a token. Like you could possibly, let, let's say for instance that you could go to socios.com and use cash. But if you use the token, like you were saying, you can stake or you can you can do all these other things. It's, I, it feels like to me like it's just a digital version of something that we already do physically. Well, yeah. So, for example, like there's – I guess I'm just pondering the friction of it. So if I go to REI, I can buy REI goods without a membership. But you're right. I wouldn't get all these benefits. That's right. So there's benefits. But there is at least the option. And I, I wonder if right now what we're seeing is crypto projects, Web3 projects are selecting whether or not they want to require you to use their native token. And that requirement is starting to put them in this level that they're trying to be exclusive. Yeah. So there's this exclusivity. And so I get it if they're saying, no, no, we're amazing. We have, like in Chilla's example, we have amazing uh, football or soccer NFTs. And, and we really want you to be on our platform. So there is an exclusivity. So this barrier to entry, this friction is a feature, not a bug. Get it. Okay, I get it. But I'm thinking about global adoption and I'm thinking... MasterCard just just demoed based on Jay or Jared just shared. Uh, MasterCard just demoed their in-app crypto frictionless transactions, and that's going to speed up adoption. And I think most of us in the crypto community want adoption more than we want exclusivity. Now, being early, so many of us are early. We still want to make sure that we stay positioned it, with that early status. So we will seek exclusive little things. So maybe people will gravitate towards Chillas to your point. But I guess my my bigger interest is that more people are are adopting, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I, I feel like exclusivity is a short-term gain. That's why you buy into an NFT project. But the long-term mm -hmm. desire for most people is adoption. Because if you're in earlier than you want, you know, 
then especially if you're holding like me, like I've been holding engine for almost six years now, like it's exciting when more people hop in. Um, and I want to actually touch upon this because I think Allison raises a great question, which has been asked a lot recently. Why is Polygon up so much? Well, as Grant just said, MasterCard is now, you know, trialing out stuff with Polygon. Uh, we know Starbucks is going to be putting their entire Odyssey rewards program on it. And Instagram has said that that's how they're going to use uh, they're going to use Polygon. They're going to leverage that to be able to, uh, you know, mint and sell NFTs on Instagram. And all those, at least the MasterCard and the Instagram news came out in the last week. And Starbucks and week. came out. Yeah, Starbucks came out about five to six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. But the Odyssey actually, they just sent me because I signed up. The Odyssey just sent me something recently, um, which is really exciting because they're starting to really move that project forward. Um, so that's kind of why Polygon is up. And we've been talking about Polygon on this channel, especially a lot, because we do think they're making all the right partnerships. You know, bear market is a time for accumulation and partnerships, yes. which is what we're doing at Not Crypto Bros from an investment standpoint, and also yep. from a just diving in and meeting new people in the space and kind of being active. So I think Polygon is definitely doing it right. So I think that that's why it's up. It's more that just every single week, they're consistently coming out with new yeah. news. They're it's dropping new news. Partnerships, right? They're, they've got yeah. more partnerships going on right now. And the only way that these partnerships happen now is because they planted these seeds at the top of the bull market, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the corporate partnerships take a long yes. yeah. time to kind of come to fruition. So we're yeah. going to probably continue to see more and more come out about Polygon. But I think that that's why it's up so much. And it's also, you know, I, I wrote this the other day on Twitter, but it's like, it's crazy how when Bitcoin goes from 19.5 to... 20, 20, you know, 20,200 people's brains melt and everyone's like, it's over 20,000. We're going to the moon. I'm like, dude, it's a $700 increase. It's less yeah. than 5%. Like keep your pants on. Nothing has actually happened. Like let's, mm -hmm. let's wait and see, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I do think that any rally right now is a fake rally. The fed just raised its rates. You guys were talking about that a little bit. I do think the fed is going to raise more rates in December and then they're totally going to just take a break till 2023. But, um, as we get closer to the year before the halving, which is going to be this March to April of 2023, that is where we're going to see the bottom, in my opinion. Uh, and then as we get into the summer, things may start to tick up a little bit. But the halving mm. is in the spring of 2024. Got it's going it. to that, align that. with so many different things that are happening mean. politically in the United States, the way the Fed is dealing with inflation. Globally, we're going to see what happens. Some, some I think the UK maybe is already turning back towards Q&A, quantitative easing. So We'll see. We're also seven minutes over, but I'm fine to continue to go a little bit more if you guys are, because as Allison said, people in Europe, uh, especially for our European audience or our UK audience, you know, they set the clocks back. So things are a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I've but, got a few quick minutes, but I wanted to call out something you just said that was huge. And I think uh, Jay said it before we came on. Um, we were talking about you just mentioned it. I'm sli it's slipping my brain now, but I did want to touch on the quantitative easing. Um, I think Jerome Powell, I think, I think it's very likely that they, they are, will continue to increase interest rates, which affect a lot, but I think he will only raise it 50 points. And if he goes from this 75 points raise to a 50 point raise, I mean, he did a 75 point raise this week and we saw a bump in the market because of his tone on, Hey, I'm recognizing that other things are working in tackling inflation that it was, a, it was a, a like a, like an the throwaway phrase and it still bumped the market if we if he shows signs of slowing even at 50 points 
I think you're going to see a huge rally. And that, that leads to my second point. And I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. And I said that I did say this to Jay before we came on. There's been this message that TradFi is decoupled from DeFi. And I think, or DeFi is decoupled from TradFi. I think that that is going away. And I think they're recoupling. I think, um, oh, there we go. Grant <laughs> calling it the right way. I think that we're seeing that these markets, if you overlay the chart over the last six months of DeFi and TradFi markets, you'll see a lot of parallels. And so I think that they're starting to, I do think it's a false, oh, that's what Jay said earlier. This is a false pump and uh, it's a wedge of sorts. And, and I think that that's true. But I do think that as Jerome Powell makes announcements, I do think that this will begin as adoption increases. This will begin to, especially as institutions come in, We'll see a more, my prediction is, is we'll see a more coupled uh, relationship, at least in the top 10, top 20 cryptos. What do you guys think about that? Jay, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I definitely, like, when, when I started getting into crypto investments, like, seriously, I initially thought of it as, okay, I'm going to mess around with this crypto thing for a little while. It's going to allow me to understand how investments work and then I'm going to take that into the stock market. No, it, it happened to be that crypto blew up and there was no need to really venture into the stock market. But I think they're both, people are beginning to realize that like both are similar enough that, you know, that you can combine them together. So you see like the big organizations, BlackRock and I think Fidelity recently announced that, you know, if you've got one of their accounts, you can you can trade crypto. They're realizing that it's the same thing. And eventually the markets are going to start to, um, they're, they're going to converge. One interesting thing that I noticed that makes me sort of think like, yeah, something's definitely happening is I don't see Ethereum coupled with Bitcoin anymore. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. I have wondered that. I didn't, I didn't solidify that in my brain, but the thought came to mind this past week of like, it's behaving a little different. Uh, that's interesting that you say that. I I still don't think the evidence is is complete yet. I don't know, Jared. Jar what do you think? Yeah, you know, Ethereum normally is somewhere between eight to twelve percent of what Bitcoin is. This is kind of how it's worked. And at sixteen hundred dollars, what it is now, that is literally eight percent of twenty thousand. So uh, it's somewhere. It's it's still in a healthy range. I think it died off a little bit, and that was to be expected with the uncertainty around the two point Interesting. Uh, a lot of people were then going into Polygon. They were looking at Solana. Solana is also pumping right now because it's had really good NFT stuff in the last three days. But like, Oops. you got to zoom out is what I keep telling people. People yeah. are like, oh, it's going, it's pumping. I'm like, dude, nothing's happened. Like if you, okay, the trend is your friend. If you look at the trend, it's still like this on all things. Now, if you zoom in the three days, yeah, it may be up, but you got to zoom out, right? When you yeah. zoom out, then you can see the actual mountain range. When you're in, you're all you're seeing is jagged edges. Uh, and I still think we have a long way to go down with Bitcoin. I still, my price, my bottom is somewhere between eight to 12,000. Still, um, you yeah, still 100%. hold to that. If, yeah, 100%. I mean, look, go it's, down? Yeah, look, it's been sitting at 20,000 for a long time, right? And yeah. we haven't even gotten into like the market. Okay, we've been in a recession for six to nine months, right? The Fed has said, okay, these back-to-back -back months of, of no, you know, no growth or negative growth is not a recession. So they redefine what a recession was. But I think the U.S. government, which unfortunately runs the world because they own the house, they, they print the dollar essentially through the Fed, they are playing nice because there's elections coming up. But once these elections are over in the States, things are going to change. This is going to be a tough winter for Europe. 
right? They're not going to have the oil coming over from Russia. Uh, we're going to have a different political climate, probably in the United States, and there's going to be a lot more stalling, I'm, I'm assuming. We are going to add 50 basis points on. Then I think 2023 is already going to be tough. I mean, just this past week, anecdotally, I know a buddy who was laid off and my friend who works at Lyft, she saw 13% of their entire employees just dismissed from one day to the next. Amazon is hired freezing. If we just look at what people are doing, they're hiring freezing or they're laying people off and they're getting ready for 2023 to be kind of a difficult year before I think quantitative easing kicks back in and the government starts to pick back up the bill and then the market goes up, which will totally align with the Bitcoin halving. Um, I, I just don't think we've seen the bottom and the bottom is always the place where you don't want to buy Bitcoin and like you, you are actually fearful and I don't, oh, I'm not there to say, wait, I thought that's when you wanted to buy <laughs> No, that, yeah. that is when you want to buy, but that's not when your brain tells you to buy because it Got seems it. like, holy shit, is this thing going to keep going down? And I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's eight to 12. I, I, I don't, I think we're going to come into a period of hurt and retail investors are really going to have to have to take some, take some money off the, off the table. Now, if that is coupled evenly and balanced out by institutional investors coming in, then the price may actually stay the same. You know, when the price doesn't move, that means that the buying and the selling is equal, equal pressure. That's all that means. That's a great point. In the next halving, we're going to have unprecedented institutional money in. And, and you know, I, I, wanna, I want you guys to answer this question from Allison in just a quick second. But Victor says Bitcoin halving can go back down to 18,000. So you're expecting this dip to happen at, around or after the halving where it drops at, around or after the halving and then takes off. You no, don't expect it before, to be before. Yeah, before. It should be like the year out. If you look historically, the year out before the halving, it gets pretty, it gets pretty crazy. Now, the pandemic threw this off a little bit because when that happened, obviously, we had a freeze globally of everything and everything slowed down. We've never had that, at least in modern yeah. times in, in, in the world we live in of you know such global finance and everything tied into the internet but yeah. yeah i still think it's going to go down a lot and i think people are going to be surprised and then when it's down there you know people are gonna the I, I don't know i with bitcoin it's just it's 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 unknowable in some sense but i do think that the having is going to go way down before it goes way back up again let's answer this question and then and then we could probably wrap up how far out should one zoom Jarrett? jay what do you think like how far out does one zoom to the beginning of time Jay, what do you think? Backwards or forwards? At, well, in zooming either out, direction. Just include. I mean, you can't zoom into the future. So, so zooming out, like like Jared's saying, like if you look at, for example, the, everything is up over seven days right now. Most everything is up over seven days, and so you could look at that and think, oh, we're in a rally. I agree with you about the wedge, and that's like if you zoom out over the last three to six months, you'd probably see, eh, we're kind of in this wedge going on here. But like, how far out do you zoom? For something usable. Hmm. I mean, so, like we, we say like history repeats itself, right? Sure. But, but it's also like, I feel like it's not necessarily linear. It doesn't repeat itself in the same order every time. So you kind of have to figure out which moments in history align with what's happening right now. Interesting. Interesting. So it, probably, probably it's, a, it's usually a good idea, I think. In my mind, is if you can go as wide as you can possibly go, but then also go deep into understanding what were the effects that caused historical events to happen. Like if you understand why the 2008, 2007 
recession happened, then you can look for those signals today and see if that's what's happening again. And then fortunately for Bitcoin, it has a relatively short history, though it's been here longer than people realize um, or, or can actually get their head around. I mean, it's been over a decade that we've had Bitcoin technically, but that is short enough for us, for us to actually compare apples to apples and apples to oranges uh, when it comes to looking at going deep. Jarrett, how far out is useful to Zoom? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying that we're in the similar political, uh, excuse me, economic climate that we were in like the 70s. If you listen to Raul Powell talk, and I, I think he's one of the best. He's just, he has no skin in the game as far as like, he's just kind of already billionaire or whatever. And he's just telling you exactly what he thinks. And he's growing his following. I mean, I guess that's his skin of the game is to grow his social currency or clout. But I, I am, uh, I mean, Bitcoin's been around for 13 or 14 years now. I think it's 13 or 14 years since Satoshi dropped the white paper. And I get those confused, even though I know it was in 08. So I think it's 14 um, and uh, or 2009. So the thing is, even though it's only been around that time, you're going to multiply that market by about three and a half because Bitcoin doesn't take weekends off. Bitcoin doesn't take evenings off. Um, and so it's been around a long time relatively if you were to stretch it out like against the TradFi markets. But I mean, I would zoom out as much as you want. I think you zoom out as much as your goal is. If you're a day trader, you're zooming out not more than a week. You're zooming out, you're looking at the news. Um, I'm holding stuff for at least till 2030 because my use case is that by 2030, Bitcoin is going to be worth a million dollars. Uh, and when Bitcoin's worth a million dollars, if you believe that Ethereum will follow the same trend, that's how Kathy Woods easily makes the math to get to Ethereum being $80,000 um, per ETH. So I'm thinking more long-term and that's why it's like really exciting day to day to see what's happening in the adoption. But I mean, I'm, I'm holding for when everyone has crypto on some level, has Ethereum or Bitcoin on some level um, or, or some coin that maybe takes over Ethereum. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, I want to read what Brian says and then I'll, I'll go ahead and do shout outs and pass the mic. It says, according to Gemini's global state of crypto report, countries that are debasing their currencies the fastest, i.e. high inflation rates, are adopting crypto faster as a global trend, as a general trend, excuse me. This is totally true. We can see this. I mean, this is why people in Kenya who know what has happened in Zimbabwe are like, yeah, okay, uh, we're going to get into this, right? Um, and I think when it comes to cross-border payments, countries that have higher remittance rates or that are full populations that are super transient and are maybe moving around because of famine, war, what have you, and they have to move money across borders, understand this is why I think Europeans are going to adopt crypto and have adopted crypto really high. Um, because their use cases, a lot of the use case in the United States is a hold, a hold and a hold. It's more of an investment rather than a real world use case. Um, so I'm, but to go back to the question of zooming out, I think you zoom out as far as you want. I, I see the trend, you know, and I just kind of see where it's going. And I do believe we still go down a little bit, but I'm starting 2023 going to start to employ a lot of capital into, into crypto, because I just think you no matter what thing you look at, uh, it's almost 90% down. Um, and yeah. all the ones I'm looking at 90% down, Bitcoin's still about 70% down, 65, 68 to 73% down. Um, and that's still a steal because I think that Bitcoin will crack 100K. I tell everyone Bitcoin will crack 100K by January to February of 2025. That is when we're going to be back where we were in 2021. In January 2021, Bitcoin was flying. It cracked, mm -hmm. blew through 20,000 in December, 30,000, 40,000 mm -hmm. in that March, April you know, hit Elon buys it, says you can buy Tesla with it. You know, it, the things that are going to happen in this next bull cycle in 2025, we're not even going to be able to comprehend right now because this mm -hmm. thing is growing like the universe. So 
Um, my shout out shout out is yeah, my shout out is to everyone who got up with us, especially on the East Coast. And my shout out is to Victor. It's uh, I haven't seen Victor in the chat for a while. So Victor, Victor, I hope you are doing well, and and I love to see you. And uh, uh, Jay, I'll pass you the mic. Yeah, my shout out is to my 30 Day Podcast group. We're gonna be releasing the podcast next week. We're gonna have a cool little launch event where everybody comes together, chats about their podcast. We're gonna go live. So anybody who's listening, look out for that event next week. Uh, yeah. So shout out to them. That's great. Uh, my shout out. Well, real quick thought on Brian's deal uh, and, and Jer, uh, Jared's reflection on this a little bit. I wonder how much knowing that the government, knowing that we'll be going in the United States to a CBDC, knowing that when something is debased, I wonder if it's another positive outcome for the, our government for them to allow us to continue into deeper inflation, deeper debasing so that we get squirrely and start looking for other means, and then they release their own CBDC, and we think psychologically as a people, uh, okay, well, I'll shift into this, thinking that it's crypto. A lot of people are fooled by stuff like that. Um, so my shout out is to, yeah, Victor says, Brian, lots of good knowledge there. Yeah, I love this show, but not just because of what we get to do and play in, but you guys, the, the viewers and the commenters sharing knowledge is just Absolutely bonkers. Shout out today to my new employee. I've got a new employee on the website company. That's really good. We did a, a really, really sick onboarding that I'm really pumped about. So that's my shout out this morning. Jared, take us home. Uh, make sure you follow Not Crypto Bros on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And we will see everyone on Tuesday at 3.30 Eastern time. We go live on Tuesday at 3.30 Eastern time and then on Saturday at 6.30 Eastern time. So we'll see everyone soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, thanks for hanging with us.